I was uh, over here contemplating as we were singing uh, those last couple of songs. The, the, the idea of singing is an interesting thing. And it's not something new to us, and it's certainly not new to Scripture. But what I was really contemplating, thinking about is, it, it is one of the things that we share as human beings, regardless of what we believe about God, if he exists, if he's real, or if he doesn't, if he's good, if he's not. As human beings, we love to use singing to proclaim or to express something we believe in, right? If you think about what you heard on the radio this week and, and what we do in popular music, and um, a couple of my kids are into, one's into bluegrass and one's into kind of like jazz, and when there's no words, then it has a totally different feel than when there's words to it. And if you pay attention, there's something being, you know, I'm affirming something. Yes? Right? I mean, I know we listen for the music part because that's, you know, we enjoy that. Um, but we're expressing something that's important to us. And I don't know, I just I was reflecting on that as I sat over there. These, these things that we sing, you know, is he worthy? Is he worthy of it all? We, we proclaim these things in our, in our music that reveals or we affirm maybe what we believe to be true about God. And I think the reason I was reflecting on that, that came into my mind, is because we, we're, we're going to pick up this morning where we left off last week. We started this series, It's All in the Family, and Jeff laid out this, this big picture for us of who God is and, and what he's wanting to do on this planet in us and through us as part of his creation. And there's some big things in this series. There's some, there's some life-shaping principles that we're looking at, we're going to be looking at, we have and we will, that reveal something about us. Another, let me say it this way. As we talk about these things, we get up here, Jeff, Matt, and I get up here, and we, we talk about these things from God's Word. God's Word. It's more than just an opportunity for the three of us to be up here and hear our own voices. You with me? This is not just something that we're going through because that's what church does. We come together in moments like this and we worship, we, we, we bring our lives before God, we fellowship together, we pray together, and then we open up God's word and we look at it seeking to understand it. And then we leave. And we get in our cars and we go to lunch, we go to our lives. What is, what is happening in this moment? What are we doing? We're seeking to understand my heart, our heart, those who get up here each week and we open up the scriptures. Our heart is to understand what this says, what it means, so that it can shape our lives. And the reality is often when we study it and we read it, we don't like what it says, we struggle with what it says, and we often are guilty, and I use the word guilty on purpose, it's a judgmental word, and I say it on purpose, that we're often guilty of somehow explaining away or excusing our responsibility to do something with what we've been given. You tracking with me? It was a long time ago, I'll just be honest, but it seems like it was just the other day when I was living at home with my parents, and, and they're here this morning, and my parents would tell me to do something, or they would tell me not to do something. Now, I'm the firstborn, so I have built into me, if you, if you know the birth order thing, I've built into me this, this sense of right and wrong, and you just follow the rules. 
But I got to tell you, that's not what was happening. So most of the time on the exterior, and I want to affirm this because they may not believe this is true, most of the time I did it. Not always for the right reasons, but internally there were many times where I just thought, that's ridiculous. They're old, right? And they were young. They were in their 30s, but they're old. Maybe that's the way it was in your day, Dad, but things have changed. You, You tracking with me? We can do this a lot of different ways. As Christians, I think we've done it with Romans 13 this year or this last year in 2020. You know what Romans 13 says, right? There's these tough truths, principles in Romans 13 and how we are to respond to leadership, to government. And most of the time, that's okay. Yeah, that makes sense. That, okay, amen, God, way to be in control. Woohoo, God's. And then we find ourselves under leadership that is not godly or that is not going, leading us in the direction that we believe they should be leading us. And oftentimes our responses, and I've had many conversations with others over this last year, and I've even found myself doing it. Well, I know, but in these circumstances, that can't be what it means now. Anybody tracking with me? Okay. We get up here each week and we open God's Word and we study it and many, many times we find encouragement, we find hope, we find direction and we amen and we affirm it and then we, we go from this place and with God's help, we try to live that out. But mixed into that are different moments where we open up and we read it and man, we really have a hard time with it. You tracking? I'm going to say this a lot this morning because I want to make sure we're tracking together. Jeff said, if you remember last week, he said some of these things as we go through this series is going to be offensive to us. Did you catch that? Okay, well, this morning's one of them. And I'll just tell you straight up in studying, we're going to be in a passage this morning that was very, very, very directed at me as a husband, as a father. And there were a few moments this week where I thought, man, I get it. That's God's perfect will. That's how God wants it to be. But does he know who I'm married to? I didn't say that. Honestly, I didn't. I just popped into my head right now. I love you to death. Does he know my circumstances? Does he understand what's happened in our world or in our culture? Does he understand what we're facing? The short answer is yes. The longer answer is that this morning we're going to look at what I believe is the foundation for for the family, or I'm going to call it the foundation for fruitfulness. And we're going to start at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1 as we build on this series, It's All in the Family. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God said, let us make man, mankind in our image, and let's make him according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. They're going to be the top, mankind's going to be the top of the food chain. Does that make sense? They're going to have a responsibility. This part of creation is going to have responsibility over the rest, and we're going to make them in our image according to our likeness. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. You ever come across a passage where something just keeps repeating and saying it? When you do stop for a second and just say, wait a minute, is he stuttering? Does God stutter? That That was, no, okay, good. Does he, does he repeat himself? Is he like, you know, me, and he repeats himself, and he forgot that he said it? No. He's intentional, right? 
in our image, in our likeness, in the image of God. And so he created them male and female. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. Now pause with me for a minute because we, we, we need to do this. We, we don't do this enough. We need to pause and just say, okay, what did I just read? Is this God's word? Is this something I can trust that I can believe? Now, in a group of this size, some are saying yes. Some are saying, I'm not sure yet. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. And others are saying, I have no idea. And that's good. That's fine. You're welcome. Do you hear me? You're welcome wherever we're at. But for those of us who have decided we have, as Ron said this morning in communion, that we have placed our, we've confessed him as Lord. We've put our faith in Jesus Christ, we believe Jesus to be who he says he is, then I have to take his words seriously. Yes? And so I need to pause and say, okay, God, now I just said Jesus. Is this Jesus that's in this moment? According to John chapter 1 in the New Testament, it is, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. And he goes on to explain that nothing was created that has been created apart from who? Jesus. So if I believe Jesus to be who he claims to be and I love him, then I have to stop and say, okay, what is he saying? What is he revealing to me? He's revealing that I was created, mankind, people were created to do what? To reflect God. Do you remember Jesus came and he walked on the earth and he said, I'm here to show you the Father. I'm here to, to proclaim the kingdom of God. In fact, when you pray, and you guys ask me how to pray, I would say pray like this. Our Father who's in heaven Holy, hallowed be thy name. Your, your will be done. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus was making that possible, right? He was giving us a picture that we didn't have before of God. But before Jesus came, in the very beginning, God created everything that we know, everything that we see, life, this planet, trees, plants, animals, he just mentioned of every kind, and then he created mankind, placing them at the top of creation, meaning that they have a responsibility to creation. Do we have a responsibility to creation? Seriously, do you believe that? Do we have a responsibility to, to be careful how we use what we've been given? You understand where I'm going with that, right? I know that's a hot debate, and well, at the very least, we know God has given that responsibility for this earth to who? us. He puts mankind at the top and he says, we're going to make mankind in our image, meaning they're going to reflect us. Why does he say us? Because I believe the Bible has revealed God to us in this way as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, but he has revealed himself to us in that way. Now you're all tripping, right? Because the Trinity and all that. Well, in the Hebrew, it is a plural pronoun. It's us, the one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Let's make him in our image. Now, does that mean we look like God? No, and I know that because then he says he made mankind how? Male and female. So it's not the physical part. Jeff pointed out last week, and I want to build on that, it's the likeness of God is that we have the capacity to reflect him, to Show others who he is if we're living the way that he's called us, created us to live. 
So I pause and I realize, well, God created me. Is that a big concept? It is. Does that affect much in my life? Absolutely it does. One of our big questions as humankind is what? How did I get here? Right? And we've been, we've been debating that. Science has been looking at that. Religion has been looking at that. People have wanted to know since the beginning, how did we get here? At the very opening of Scripture, the Word of God claims that He created us, and He created us specifically with the purpose to reflect Him. Notice, too, that He created us male and female. Do you see that? Sexuality comes from where? It comes from God. Now, I know like just about everything else in our existence, we are prone to take authority and make it our own and say, I have the right to live this way. I have the right to respond to people this way. I have the right to treat you this way. I, I want to take everything and make it my own, and then I'm going to be in charge. It's not new for people, for a culture, to say we're going to take gender or sexuality and we're going to reinvent it to what we want it to be. You tracking with me? Okay. Say, well, what side are you falling on? What I'm saying is if we see God in his word, if we see the word of God to be authoritative, it says in his word that he made us male and female. That was God's design. That is God's intention. Now, right away, I, I, know, I know people, I know myself, we take that and we begin to run with it. Well, what about, what about, what, right? We just do. We take it and we begin to run with it. And look what society has done. And look how, what, what's happened and how we've treated each other and what we've done with gender, what we've done with sexuality, how we've treated women or how we've treated men or how we, and we can run. And, and now we're back to where I started. It's so easy for us, for us to take that and then begin to run with it and say, what do we do with this and how do we, shape our lives by this truth or where we believe this truth to be saying. My, my, if you want to know my heart this morning, here's it, here it is. I want us to just honestly take a look at our relationship to God's Word and what we do when we read it and we believe what it's saying. I'm as guilty as anybody else taking God's word, the parts that I don't like or I don't understand, or I'm feeling pressure from other people to take it and somehow make it more palatable. You know what I mean by that? To make it make more sense in 2021. To make it more in alignment with my culture in which I live. Because deep down inside, I want to be accepted. I want to be a part of my culture that I live in. I want to be seen in a certain way by my culture. I want to be seen as, an, as intelligent, that I know what I'm doing, that I'm compassionate, that whatever the values are of my culture, tolerance, I want to be seen that way so I'm a part of this culture. And that's not a, necessarily a bad thing, but it becomes a very serious problem when I allow that to interfere with my reading and my understanding of God's Word when it gets in the way of me just hearing from God. And so we need to come back. Now, some will say, well, the question isn't settled for me. Is this really God's word? I get that. Stay on that journey, please. 
If you're here this morning, if you're watching online, you're like, well, I'm just not sure God's word is trustworthy. Keep asking those questions. Keep on that journey. It's worth it. The reason you're on that journey in the first place is because you're looking for truth. You're looking for something that you can trust to build your life upon in the midst of a, 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 a plethora. You know that word? <laughs> okay, before you think I'm really intelligent, I learned that word from the Three Amigos a long time ago, that movie. Would you say I have a plethora of piñatas? You remember that? Okay. Some of you are like, what is he talking about? We have a plethora, a wide spectrum of voices and ideas and concepts. Why? Because we're looking for truth. This, this person in this body, this mind, this heart, I want to know how I got here. I want to know if my life has significance, if there's any purpose to this one among seven plus billion people. I want to know why I'm on this planet, why there's breath in my lungs. I want to know why there's pain and suffering. If there's God and he's good and he, right? That's a, that's a tough question. And I want to know what happens when I leave this body and I spend eternity where? If you're on that journey, if you're on that path and you're here this morning and say, well, I'm not even sure the Bible is trustworthy, please stay on that journey. Please hear that this morning. For those of us that have said Jesus is the Messiah, we've confessed him as Lord, we believe in our hearts that he is, has been risen from the dead, I need to come to God's word with a simple childlike faith that says, what is he saying? Even if it's very difficult for me to swallow. Here's the ultimate conflict. Even if it's asking me or telling me that I need to change. You with me? That's the hardest. When I open his word and I'm reading it and it's clear as day, if I just take it at face value, it means I need to change. Theologians, Bible scholars, we love, we, oh, did you catch that? <laughs> Not me. Bible scholars, theologians, people that know way more than me, they, 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 they admit that sometimes they struggle with this. This can't say what it's saying. We've got to figure out what it really means for today. He created them male and fe female. It also tells us that he created us to be fruitful. You see it? You say, well, yeah, having babies, what's up with that? Yeah, but don't miss the concept of being fruitful. That's purpose. See, you are not meaningless in your existence. No matter how you feel or no matter what people tell you, whatever voices have spoken into your thinking, your heart, and says, you don't matter. You got, you're nothing special. You're just a cog on a wheel. You're going to be here for a blip and then you're gone. The world's going to quickly forget you. Your life has no meaning. God, in just a simple sentence, says that's not true. I created you to be fruitful. Jesus tells us in John 15, if you have notes, write that down. John chapter 15, I'll give you the verse. Verse 8, he's looking at his disciples and he says, I want you to be fruitful. My Father will be glorified by this. Why is God glorified by this? Because God created us with this purpose. Now, he's not talking about having babies, is he? That fruitfulness. He says, my Father is glorified in this, that you produce much fruit. And prove to be my disciples, my followers. Prove that you've put your faith in me. How, Jesus? By bearing fruit. I can't have babies. 
I can't be fruitful for God. Are you paying attention? That should have had at least Snickers, maybe. Not the candy bar, but the snickering. So what is he talking? He's talking about the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You read the whole chapter. He says, God's glorified when you live out your purpose, and your purpose in one word has always been to be fruitful. You have purpose, you have significance in God's eyes. Every single human being. One of the, I'm going to say tragedy, the impact is unknown. Being a part of, of a culture where we end the life of children in the womb, unborn children. We have no idea the fruitfulness that we're losing as a society, as a culture. Now, we've heard, you know, they're going to grow up to be scientists. They're going to grow up. That's, there's, yeah, that's part of being fruitful. But think of God's heart. Conception happens in a, in, a, in a baby, a male or female baby begins to form in the womb. And Psalm 139 says that God's aware of that every time in the womb and how the development, and it even says every day of that, that person's life is written in a book. It's in God's understanding, his purpose for that life. When we as human beings say no, and we, we end that life, we miss the fruitfulness that God intended. The word of God is, con- is consistent from page one to page two, or to the end, from the beginning to the end, that God values life. He values each and every one of us, not just in this courtyard, but on this planet. He created us to be fruitful. He created us to fill the earth with his glory. And according to Jesus, we are glorifying God when we are fruitful. But before we go any further, we have come stay, go back to, with me to Genesis chapter 2 because God in chapter 2 lays the foundation for this purposefulness, this fruitfulness for the family, and we call it marriage. See, when you start moving into marriage and the family, male and female become really important. Now, I know I'm speaking against many voices in our culture. I'm speaking against people that are much smarter than me. So how dare I say that? I'm saying it from this place. I believe the Bible to be God's word. I believe this to be trustworthy. When I read that God made male and female, he did that purposefully. He did that because he loves us. He did that because he wants us to be fruitful. And he's going to build this thing called marriage. He's going to introduce it to us here in chapter 2 that becomes the foundation for that fruitfulness and living out our purpose in this world. In chapter 2, verse 18 Adam and God are looking at the creation. They're looking at animals. And God says in verse 18, this is not good. It's not good for the man to be alone. There's no one like him. They've just gone, they're going through naming the animals. I will make a helper who is like him. Adam gives names to the animals in verse 20. At the end of verse 20, it says, for the man, though, no helper was found as his complement. There was no other part of creation that was going to fit this role, this purpose that God had, this, this relationship that God was about to introduce. And so you know what God does, right? There's a danger that we kind of make it a fable, we kind of make it a myth or a fairy tale. But again, my perspective is looking at God's word. I may not agree with it all the time, I may struggle with it, but I believe it's God revealing himself to us. It's giving us our purpose, why we're here. 
So I read this and I take this at face value. Chapter 2, verse 21, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man and he slept. God took one of his ribs and he closed the flesh at that place. The first surgeon. This is why surgeons, if you're a surgeon this morning, we love you, but sometimes they have God complexes and this is why. Okay. That just went out on the internet, didn't it? Or in, online. And I'm going to need surgery one day and that surgeon's going to go, I'm your surgeon today and I remember you. I remember what you said. I don't know why I'm talking with that accent. Forgive me. A deep sleep came over the man and he slept and God took one of his ribs and he closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this one, remember the context. He just went through all of creation with God. This is the one. She is unlike anything else. This one at last. Literally, the only one in creation is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. We share this in common. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. And then we read this in verse 24, 25. This is why. And he's going to introduce us to the concept of marriage. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife. He cuts off. He disconnects this relationship, part of the family that he was, was grown up in and a part of, and he leaves that and he bonds, he connects with his wife, and they become one flesh. They literally bond as one, and a new family is begun. We call it marriage. The woman was created from the man. The woman was created for the man. The woman was created as a helper. How many are offended by that? All the females, all the women should raise their hand. And all the men are like, yeah. <laughs> Don't do it, guys. Don't, it, it'll, it'll end badly. Seriously, we struggle. That does not sound like California culture in 2021. And I can run a lot of different directions with that and say, well, yeah, but just, just hang here with me for another 60 seconds. God tells us the purpose of creation is to be fruitful and productive. He creates us as male and female, and then he, brings a, a, he makes a woman from the man, and he brings them together and makes them one. And that's the foundation for fruitfulness. That's the foundation for the family. That's the foundation, really, for a society, for a culture. Those of you who are single, hold on, okay? Don't get up and walk out. The man must leave. The man must cleave, bond, become one with the woman, and a new thing is born. And let me just point this out before we, we leave this passage. The very last verse, do you notice what, verse 25? The man and the wife were naked, they weren't clothed, and they felt no shame. They were one. There was no shame. There's no judgment. There's no comparison. There's no competition. There's no power grab. Who's more important? Whose role is what? Who? Without sin, it's beautiful and it's perfect. So, well, if God created what marriage is today, then I want nothing to do with it. I, I get that. This is a broken man talking, married to a broken woman, and for 37, almost 38 years, I think we're coming up on, we have journeyed this together, and there has been shame. 
and there has been judgment. There has been comparison. There has been competition. There have been power grabs. And there were things, there have been things between us. Yes, love of my life. Don't hurt yourself shaking your head so fast, but yes. <laughs> Absolutely. What happened? That's chapter three of Genesis. You can read it now if you want. Leave me behind or read it this week. If you don't know, something happened that messed that up. But don't miss what God created was good. And it was good when there was a male and a female. And it was good when they were brought together and the woman was created and brought together so that the man would have companionship. Would the woman have companionship too? Absolutely. Do you see there's no, there's no hierarchy at this point, is there? So where did that come from? That comes later when sin enters the picture. And we'll, we'll look at it in just a second. But they're brought together in this beautiful relationship of a man and woman who are different, but together they make one that, is, that results in productivity, fruitfulness for the glory of God. And he said in verse 1, I want you to do this throughout the face of the earth. Let's leave the, new, new, the Old Testament. You want to leave the Old Testament? Join me in Matthew 19. In Matthew 19, God's foundation for family. Is it really marriage? Is marriage, do we got it right? Well, let's jump up to the first century and Jesus is teaching and some Pharisees come to him in chapter 19 of Matthew, verse three. They come and they say, hey, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? Wow, that's quite a jump, right? We left Genesis no sin, man and woman, male and female, oneness, beautiful. We come to the first century, and these, these are the religious leaders. These are the religious leaders of that part of the world at that time. And he said, hey, they said, is it okay for a man to end this, this relationship, to divorce his wife on any grounds? Do you see what's happened? Women, take a breath. Just sit back, enjoy for the next 15, 20 seconds. Gentlemen, do you see what we have done, what we had done, what we continue to do with what God makes is beautiful? What you with me, gentlemen? Hello? Shake your hands, shake your head. Sorry, heads if you are. This is a male-dominated society. The men are in control, the men are in power, and look what they've done with God's creation of marriage. We need to own that men. Now, obviously, that's not really the question. God, Jesus, God in human form knows what really needs to be said, and he responds to this. He says, haven't you read? What is he referring to? He's referring to Genesis. Watch. Listen. It'll come out over there in a second. There it is, yeah. Are we thankful for our first responders? Yeah, me too. My wife is one of them, and I appreciate what she does helping people medically very much. I don't say that enough. Maybe I won't be in so much trouble after at lunch today. Probably I will be. Haven't you read that he who created them, who created men and women, men and women, God did, and now he's on earth in human form. It's Jesus, so he's, reflect, he's telling them, hey, he's talking about himself. Haven't you read that we, that he who created them in the beginning, he made them male and female. Jesus affirms that purposefulness of God. Our gender is not an accident. 
And it's not something that changes in God's eyes. You with me? I'm trying to say that graciously because this is, this, is, this is deep in us. And we're struggling with this, aren't we? Come on. We are. All of us. It shouldn't be, we shouldn't see it as one group of people that are struggling with. This is humanity. This is us as people asking these questions. We need to address it with grace and with truth. He who created in the beginning made them male and female. Jesus affirms that. And then he says, and he quotes what we just read, for this reason, because of God's purpose for mankind to be fruitful in the earth and this foundation of marriage, he reiterates, he doesn't answer their question. He points them back to Genesis and says, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh. He affirms what we read if we take Jesus seriously or we believe Jesus to be authoritative. He affirms it again. And he goes on, so that they are no longer two, but they're one. Therefore, now here's, here's, the, here's the voice of God speaking into human culture, human existence. He's saying, therefore, what God has joined together, what God has designed, what God intends to happen, don't step in and change it. You, you, you see what it says in your Bible? Don't, don't go the opposite direction. What God has joined together, man must not separate. The phrase here is the idea that we, we, we position ourselves against God. God says this, and we say, oh yeah? I don't, we may not put our fists up. We may do it internally when my parents would say, do this or don't do that. Outside, because I'm the good son, there's another son here, he won't even, I won't even point him out. Being the good son on the outside, yes, dad, yes, mom. But inside, I'm what dad says, let no son go a different direction. What God has joined together, man, humankind must not separate. Jump with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, the apostle Paul Jesus has been crucified, he has been buried, he rose from the dead, he ascended to the right hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 3, 2 and 3. The Holy Spirit comes and the church is, is, is born, and Matthew 28 is now put into practice. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you'll be witnesses for me in Judea, Jerusalem, Judea. You with me? This begins to unfold, and Paul is one of those voices, one of the apostles. Apostles had to have had personal commission from Jesus. So there were 11, then 12, because we, we lost one, and another was picked who had to be with Jesus from a certain point. Those 12 were commissioned to go. Paul meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. Do you remember? Later, he would refer to himself as an apostle born out of time. Because at the time Jesus was doing ministry, and right after that, Paul was opposing it. He was actually trying to kill Christians who said Jesus was the Messiah. God got a hold of him. He began to travel, him and Barnabas, and then him and others began to travel, and he would go to cities, and he would proclaim the gospel, and as people came to faith, a church would be born, and they would begin to, to fellowship together and come together, and Ephesians is one of his letters to a group of Christians in the town of, take a wild guess, Ephesus, thank you, and in chapter 5 of this letter, he addresses their relationships, and the reason we're going here is because he's going to say the same thing that Moses said in Genesis and that Jesus said in Matthew. You with me? Wives. Should we start with the wives? We're only going to start with the, the reason we're starting with wives is because it comes first in the text. But we'd also be 
fine to start in verse 25 with the men, right? Okay. For the sake of following along, chapter 5, verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He's the Savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Is submission a dirty word? It is. Oh, come on. I, you're shaking your head no because you love Jesus. I get it. Here's how I know it's a dirty word, because every time you get on the freeway and there's people in that right lane, submission becomes a dirty word. Come on. You know, you, he ain't getting in front of me. She ain't getting in front of me. I know it says yield, which is submit, but my car's faster. I'm in a bigger hurry, and you can fill in the blank how you want to. Is submission, let me ask it this way, is submission difficult for you and me? It is. If you read the first part of chapter 5, he says, submit to one another. He says that because the Christians in that church were struggling to submit to one another. Why is he talking to wives? Because wives were struggling to submit to their husbands. Because some of their husbands were not who they should be. Right? Real life. This doesn't take place. Paul understands. It's not a vacuum. We do that. We take that and say, well, yeah, in a perfect world, that would make sense. Wow, how beautiful it would be if husbands love their wives like Jesus loves the church and wives submitted to their husband like the church submits to Jesus. In a perfect world, without that would be incredible. But we don't live in a perfect world. We live in a sinful world where sin has done a number on each of us. And every single one of us that's here that has been married, married is married, married before, is even thinking about married and you're dating or you're courting, you've already realized that it's going to be a struggle, right? Come on, be, let's just be real. You've already had that moment. If you've been married 37 years, we don't count anymore how many moments we've had, or I don't want to submit to you. I don't want, either way, I don't want to love you like Jesus loved the church. He died, and I don't want to die. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, verse 25, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He, Jesus, did this. Jesus' husbands are example husbands. You tracking? Are you still paying attention, men? Jesus, our example, who were to follow, did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. And if you're not tracking, Paul wants you to be tracking with him. In the same way, men, husbands, are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. What? What is he saying? Loves his wife, loves himself. You don't hate your... Remember, the context for Paul, which needs to be our context, is the oneness of a husband and wife. If Becky and I are one, whatever I do to love her is also loving me because we're one. You with me? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to benefit from that. It's not my motive. It's just the reality if you truly become one, husbands, love your wife like Jesus loves the church. He sacrificed everything. You want to talk about submission? Their submission, men, let's use the word for us. You submit to the needs of your wife. You sacrifice your life for her. And women, wives, 
Submit to your husband as unto the Lord, as the church submits to the Lord in all things. And then Paul says this, and we're coming to an end. He quotes Genesis 1, or Genesis 2, and Matthew 19. For this reason. What is the reason? We've seen this three times now. The reason is the same every time. It's a, re- a reference or, ref- or pointing us back to the why for this whole thing. Let's make man, let's make a male and female, let's give them marriage so that they would reflect us and take the glory of God throughout the world. You with me? This is the why, this is the reason. Why is marriage so important? Why is it so important that men and husbands and wives treat each other this way and live and love each other this way? Because it's rooted back to God wanting to be known throughout the earth. He wants his, his glory to be reflected. I'll say it this way. He wants us to know how good he is, that he has our best interest at heart in everything that he does. So when I'm reading his word and I'm like, man, that seems like God's against me. That's like God doesn't understand me. God doesn't seem to care about what's happened in our world or what's happening in our culture. It's like he doesn't get how we've changed. This is why a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh because God wants this world to know. I'm going to give you two words. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up as I'm giving you these words. I'm going to skip the questions, Nate. Two words, redemption and reconciliation. They sound like big Christian words, but don't get hung up on that. Redemption is God buying back at whatever cost what was his originally, and he wants it back. You want to know why Jesus died on the cross? Why we just came and remembered communion and we sing these songs about how amazing Jesus is? Why did Jesus go to the links he did? Because he wanted to buy back what was his, what he created to be good, and sin destroyed it. And the only way to get it back was for him to take the place of you and me in paying for the pain that, or the, 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 the consequences of sin. The wages of sin is death, according to God. And so Jesus gave his life because he wants to get back. He wants to redeem what was his, what he loves. The other word is reconciliation. He redeems us to what? He redeems us back to reconciliation or oneness with him. This is a husband and wife right here. Oneness between a husband and a wife. Oneness in our relationships are are being brought back and made right between one another. If you don't believe, if you are not convinced that reconciliation is the number one need we have as mankind, humankind right now, then you've been asleep for the last 365 days. We, we, we've, just, we've devastated so much by our division. Why is marriage so important? Why is a, a man and a woman coming together and living as one in the way that God has called us to? It's because God wants to redeem back what is his, what he loves, and he wants us to live reconciled to one another because we've been reconciled to him. Thank you, Dennis. I heard one amen. When we go from this place in a few minutes, we're going to respond this morning But when we go from this place, I pray that we go from this courtyard and we go into this community and we are people that are one with God if we have put our faith in Jesus so that our lives, my marriage, my relationships would reflect God's heart for redemption and for reconciliation. We are hurting as humankind. 
No? We are. If you don't think so, come see me because something's wrong with your heart. Everything has come under attack. Everything is broken and breaking into pieces. And if you don't think we can't divide anymore, take a look at history. We can. We can further, 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 further. The Word of God, I believe, tells us that God's design is good. God's purpose for us is good. Man and woman, gender is good. Sexuality is good. But He created it to be experienced in a certain way in this foundation for fruitfulness that we call marriage. Now, what if you're single? Can't be fruitful for God? Absolutely you can. Because every one of us has value in the eyes of God. You don't have to be married to be fruitful for God. Jesus tells us that in in John 15. And God's plan for you, his purpose for you is good. Don't let anybody look down on you, tell you otherwise, because you're single and you're not married. What if you're a single parent? The purpose remains the same. It's going to be more challenging. You're going to need encouragement. You're going to, we're going to need to come alongside one another. But the purpose remains the same to convey, to convey, reflect God's glory, reflect God's desire for redemption and for reconciliation. What if you've been divorced? Then you need to grab onto the word re, of redemption to buy back. Say, well, it wasn't my fault. It wasn't my fault. Where do I stand with God? You confess whatever is your, on, on your shoulders, and then you embrace his forgiveness. You embrace his redemption, his heart of redemption. He wants to buy back what he loves. You with me? Divorce is not the end of your story. It's not a black mark on your story. It's an opportunity for God, if you are willing now, today, to embrace his redemption and reconciliation. Hold on to those two words. It's the heart of God. And he has placed us, those that are alive here, even if you're still on the journey questioning, searching, is, the, is this trustworthy? Is God great? But know this, you were born when you were born, and we live in this day today, right now, to reflect God's glory, to reflect his heart of redemption and reconciliation. And so he's calling us, every one of us, He's calling us to come closer to him, to come and surrender, to come in submission to him and say, God, here I am. Maybe I've made a mess of my life. Maybe I've made choices that I'm still wallowing in the consequences. And man, I'm, I'm nothing. No, 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 no. Don't listen to that. Because God's heart is for redemption and reconciliation. And there is hope at the cross. Let's sing about that.